welcome back to the Get Fit Podcast, where we chat money, mindset, and a little bit of muscles. I'm so thankful that you are hanging out with me here today because there's really anything else that you could be doing. You could be kayaking, you could be paddleboarding, you could be trying to join the Space Force, you could be doing literally anything else, and I'm so thankful that you're taking the time with me. Now, on today's episode, we have Kristen Decker. She is an anti-bullying advocate, she's a speaker, she's an author, and just an all-around incredible person. Her story is so, so powerful. It struck so close to home for me, and I'm just so excited that she's willing to share all of these things with us so that hopefully we can change a little bit of the world. So let's jump right into it. Alrighty, welcome back to the Get Fit Podcast, y'all. So today I have Kristen Decker, and she is absolutely amazing. So she is an anti-bullying speaker around the U.S. She has run 4,000 miles to raise money for cancer. Y'all, I like ran five miles today, and I thought I was going to die. I am so, I want to know more about that. She's in a best-selling book, and she's so deeply aligned in faith. I found her on Facebook, and I'm just so, so excited for her to pour so much energy, hope, and just life into all of us. So my dear, if you could just tell us your story, how you got here, tell me the good stuff. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, like she said, I am an anti-bullying motivational speaker and bullying is a huge passion of mine as I was bullied for seven years from my sixth grade to my senior year in high school. And the bullying started in sixth grade when two girls created a burn book about me, kind of like the one that was in Mean Girls. Yeah. So they had this burn book that was all about Kristen Decker and So then they took what they wrote in the book and posted it online for everyone to read. And they posted it on AIM Instant Messenger, which I always feel so old when I say that because nobody knows. Oh, AOL, when you had AIM and and you didn't have your real name as your username. Right. You had a fake name and then you had like 50. So like no one would know. That was when the internet was like more anonymous and it was awful. Yeah. So they posted that on their, I guess you'd call it their profile page. So that's kind of where the bullying started. And then seventh grade, I don't really remember a whole lot about seventh grade. But then in eighth grade, the bullying started up again. And kids would yell in the hallway that I was fat and ugly and sent surveys around to their friends asking if they agreed with that statement. And not only was I being bullied in school, but I was also being bullied by peers at church. And so that took a toll because I'm like, how can you sit in church and believe that God made you and that God loved you when kids were picking on you for who you were and how you look? So why me God was something like, I began to ask daily, if not hourly. And so in eighth grade, that's when my eating disorder and depression started just because of what kids were saying and doing to me. So I was like, all right, like we're going to go to high school now. Things are going to be great. Things are going to be different. There's going to be new kids. And the bullying started when I went to high school. So my eating disorder and depression got worse. And then I began to have thoughts of like suicide and self-harm because of the bullying. Kids told me that if they looked like me, that they would kill themselves. A teacher told me that she didn't like me because I wasn't a size zero and I wasn't on the cheerleading team, but I was a re-sport athlete in high school, but cheerleading was just not the sport I chose to do. I had a best friend yell when I was grabbing something to eat in the cafeteria, Kristen, why are you getting that? You're already fat. 
And so when you hear it from people, it affects you. But then when you hear it from like a level of your best friend, you're also like, okay, well then it must be true because if my best friend thinks that, then everyone's got to think that. I had kids throw gum in my hair and trash at me and they told me they thought I was the trash can. I was compared to a Chucky doll. I had my first grade picture sent around the school saying ugly then, ugly now. Basically named it and it happened to me. So yeah, so all of my mental health got worse. The eating disorder, depression. I spent most nights like crying in my bed, not wanting to be alive, questioning why this was happening to me. And so in between my sophomore and junior year, I was hospitalized for 10 days for my eating disorder and suicidal thoughts. And when I was in the hospital, doctors told my parents that if I did not get help and transfer out of the high school I was in, in two months when we would typically be shopping for my homecoming dress, my parents would be picking out my funeral outfit. And so at that moment, it hit a little harder in the sense of like when I wanted to be dead at that time. But then when a doctor told you like, yeah, you're not going to be here much longer than two months, then it kind of hit a little harder. So after I got out of the hospital, my parents suggested that I talk with Matt, who was the youth pastor at my church and was at the time diagnosed with cancer. And I wanted nothing to do with talking to him. I mean, like nothing. My parents were like, Kristen, like we think it'll be good. Like just kind of sit down and talk with him. And I was like, no, because I shared my story in the hospital to a social worker and she told me that I was lying. And so I wanted nothing to do with sharing my story anymore. And People often ask me, they're like, well, why did she tell you that? And because my story is so intense and there's so many elements to it, she thought I was just making it up and it wasn't telling the full truth. And I'm like, cool. So if I'm lying, then you can just like let me out of these doors and let me get me out of this hospital right now. But I did. I ended up talking, sitting down with Matt and... I just started crying and sharing my story. And I was like, why me? Like, why am I going through this? Why is God doing this to me? And he looked at me and he he asked, well, why me? Why cancer? And at that moment, I just felt a sense of relief because I was like, you know what? Like other people feel the same way I do. They question God in their walk. They're not sure why God allows things to happen to them. And so at that moment, it was just a sense of like, okay, I'm not alone. Like he doesn't know what it's like to be bullied. And I don't know what it's like to have cancer, but that underlying reasoning of like, why me? We were able to just create an unexplainable bond over it. So that was still the summertime. And so I met with the principal at my current high school and got me transferred to a different high school. And I was like, okay, here we go again. Like, this will be different. Like, I'm not going to be bullied anymore. Like, things are going to be great. And the bullying didn't happen right away. It was about a few months into school that the bullying started again. And people often ask me like, okay, well, did something happen? And that's why the bullying like started up again. And I've never shared this part of my story until like recently because I met with a high schooler who went to a Christian high school and had a similar situation happen to her. And so I was like, okay, like I feel like I need to start sharing this part of my story too, to let people know like they're not alone. So I went on a date with this guy and it was like beyond awkward. Like we weren't really talking. Like it was just a super awkward car ride. And so at one point in the car, he reached over and grabbed my chest and made a sexual harassing comment. And I just felt like super violated, so uncomfortable that I texted one of my girlfriends and I was like, Hey, like, can you call me and tell me like your cat died, like some form of emergency that I need to get home. And so she called me and he took me home. Well, that next day, I started receiving harassing text messages from unknown numbers telling me what a horrible person I was for leaving the date early, calling me names. And I'm like, all because I felt uncomfortable on this date. So that's kind of where the bullying started up again at my new school. And kids would make like winking noises at me when I wore a pink shirt. They'd make gagging noises at me. They created an online forum that was like dedicated to making fun of me. And one night I was babysitting for a family and I received 
received a harassing and sexual harassing text message. And due to like the severity of the text message, the police got involved. And I was finally feeling good for like standing up for myself because that was the first time like typically I just like let people's comments affect me and get to me. But I was like, let's stand up, like got the police involved and they received a restraining order. Well, that next day at school, you know, if you get people in trouble with the police, they tend to you know, tell the friends about it. And I started receiving harassing text messages from unknown numbers. Some of them included death threats, all because I stood up for myself. And so as the day continued and more text messages were coming in, I was walking into the bathroom. Someone followed me, grabbed me, threw me against the bathroom wall and told me if I ever picked my head up in the hallway again or did anything like that with going to the police, that they would kill me. So I immediately went to the school and told them what happened. And I was told by the school that it's okay that she said I did that to you. She's had a rough upbringing. And I'm like, that doesn't justify someone threatening to kill me just because they've had a rough upbringing. But thankfully, I had a teacher who let me hide out in her classroom when like I felt unsafe. And she just became that person that I was able to talk to. And she had my back. So I felt that support from somebody when I was in school. So as the day continued, and I was getting more death threats, text messages, for some reason, I responded to one of them. And I responded, I didn't effing do anything wrong. And I sent the text message, put my phone down. And I get a text message from my dad. And he's like, go to the bathroom and call me immediately. And I was like, okay. So I go to the bathroom and I call my dad. And my dad's like, you're about to get called down to the office right now. And you're about to get in trouble. And I'm like, for what? And he's like, because you swore in that text message. And I was like, people are threatening to kill me. But because I said the F word, that means I'm getting in trouble. And he's like, Kristen, like, I know it doesn't make sense. It's not okay. Like, I will handle this. But like, for now, just stop answering to people. But I was like, done. Like, don't stop threatening to kill me. Like I shouldn't be in trouble right now because I said a bad word. Like their level of justification of the things were not fair, I don't believe. But eventually what felt like a thousand million years of being in school. Um, I graduated high school and have never turned back since being in the hospital. Um, in July, it'll be 11 years in remission of my eating disorder, depression, and suicidal thoughts. And that is truly something I never thought I would be able to say like at all. I now live my life without an apology and in celebration of who God made me to be and look like. And so Matt's impact that he had in my life in the moments of meeting him when I was supposed to be dead has just inspired me to impact people's lives the way he impacted mine in my darkest moment. Unfortunately, two years after I graduated high school, Matt lost his battle to multiple melanoma and that destroyed me. I didn't go to church for a while after that. I was like, why God? Like I'm finally healthy. Like I'm finally back to like going to church and like believing in you. And then you take my friend away from me. But his impact inspired me to run 4,000 miles across America from California to Maryland and his memory. And now I stand on stages and let kids know like you're not alone in the battles you face you're not defined by what anybody says about you and if I can be that light for them going through similar situations and dark moments then I will do share my story with them to let them know like been there let me help you on the same mountain that I've climbed hello my dear friends what kind of money community do you have and I don't mean who's your financial institution what are your investments? How's your 401k? I don't mean that. I mean the people that you can go to when you're struggling to pay off your debt, when you're not sure if you're doing the right thing financially, where you want extra saving tips, where you want budget advice, where you want little teeny tiny savings hacks that can add up so much in the long run. 
Do you have a money community? If you don't, then I'm so freaking excited to welcome you into mine. It's called My Money Works Tribe. It's on Facebook. We are growing every single day. And right now I am doing, for every week, you can earn $25 for yourself to spend on maybe a little treat for yourself or put it forward with that debt. You know, my favorite thing. And then also $75 to your local community, either your community food bank, a charity you love, something to give back. And I'm so, so excited to be able to offer this for y'all. So be sure to check out my Money Works Tribe. The link is going to be in the bio and I cannot wait to see you there. So I'll just be over here crying. Oh my God. So first off, you are so brave and I am so proud of you for making it. High school is awful. Like Mm -hmm. if you are listening and you were not bullied, you have no idea. If you were bullied, you get it. Mm -hmm. And as hard as this is to hear now, you will, you will graduate high school and you will never, ever, ever have to see those people again. And like looking back, like, cause I, I got bullied in elementary school and then more so in high school like Uh middle school was finally like yeah but I was so but my family life was absolute garbage I was so depressed like all the time we had no money so like I would get teased for that in elementary school middle school Mm -hmm. somehow they were just like whatever but then high school it was very much I went to a rich kid high school because I just happened to live in that district. Mm -hmm. I didn't have another high school option. So I was the poor kid around all these rich kids and I was made fun of mercilessly. And then I like to wear black clothes and I listen to different music. Even though none of my friends did, like I was different. And so I was made fun of all the time. I was called fat. And then I like associated like being thin and skinny Mm -hmm. with the popular kids, which I probably shouldn't because the people I was trying to be were literally athletes and mm-hmm. I was not I did not do sports I was not physically active I was definitely on the heavier side going into it because I wasn't physically active mm-hmm. and so my response to that was not to be physically active it was to starve because that gave me some sense of control mm-hmm. and when I talk to girls about eating disorders at some point it stops being about just being super skinny and super thin it is having control over some aspect of your life mm-hmm. you don't have control over anything else you control of what people are going to say about you, what people are going to think, but I can control if Mm -hmm. I eat or not. And if I just don't eat, then I have control. And it is so powerful in Mm -hmm. a just screwed up way. And I'm so proud that you handled it. Like in high school, I was in my twenties before I hit that. I got to the hospital. Mm -hmm. I haven't eaten like point. And it was really my friends that pushed for it. I moved to a new city. I didn't know anyone. So I was like, Mm -hmm. no one can say anything to me. Mm -hmm. And it was just like, well, you're either going to like get treatment or they were going to report me mm-hmm. as a danger to myself. Mm-hmm. So they really kind of like took it out of my hands. And I was like, all right, fine. And then bitterly, I found a counselor. And honestly, I got super lucky with like my first counselor. She helped me work through a lot mm-hmm. of my earlier trauma to get a hold on it. But it's probably like I had a relapse when I was 24. So 
probably really only five years out of it. And for anyone like listening, you don't ever like necessarily fully recover from an eating disorder or self-harm. You're always in recovery. Mm -hmm. Some days it sounds like it's great. Some days I'm like, you know, don't really want to be alive. And Mm -hmm. it just seems so much easier. You always have those days, but it's Mm -hmm. always something else. And so you being 11 years, like, girl, I can't wait till I'm there. (laughs) Like just knowing that you're there and that there's so many so many people out there who are farther along will really really like help with that and so in light of that like when you're sharing your story about bullying and you're like speaking to schools like how do you feel like you're portraying it more like when you're sharing your story are you talking to the people who are being bullied like that there's hope or do you hope you're making an impact on the people who are bullying who honestly probably don't even realize Mm -hmm. necessarily what they're saying because no one has ever like stood up to them right and they're just like I'm cool because I'm just talking shit. How how do you like to kind of come across that? Do you do both? Yeah. So I use my story to inspire those in hope of when they're walking their similar journey because I think at some point in high school, we all battle something and we all go through something because it's just an awkward time of like so much is going on, even in middle school and elementary school. So I think at some point we all like kind of go through some mental battle. So I really share mine in hope hopes to inspire kids that if your story is similar to mine in any way, that it gives them hope. But then I also will say like, and if my story sounds familiar because you're bullying others, like I hope after hearing what I've gone through, like you don't, like you get some help in to figure out like, why are you bullying people? Like what hurt are you feeling inside that you feel like you need to portray and hurt other people for it? So kind of a mix of both. But it's very true. Bullies are often bullies because that's their way to exert control. It's a terrible cycle, and I do not think in any way, shape, or form schools are prepared to handle it. Mm -hmm. Parents aren't prepared to handle it. Kids are not psychologically prepared to handle it. And we had one counselor in my school, and I just don't think that was enough. I think schools should really be putting money into it because. Mm -hmm if for no other reason than to maybe abate a potential future school shooting. I I don't want to say the mental health is responsible for them, but the lack of mental health help and resources and just the stigma attached to it is awful. I didn't tell anyone for years mm-hmm. that I was depressed or that I cut myself. I was so ashamed of it. I was like, no one's going to understand that. Mm-hmm. And it was just so isolating. Come to find out, once I reached out for help, so many people do it. And it's just so, you feel so much shame and the more shame you feel, the more likely you are to react badly. And it's just so, like, there should be a class in school that actually talks about it and is like, if you feel like this, these are your resources. I think if I had had tangible resources growing up, I might have been more equipped for once I became an adult and was right. on my own to deal with it. You go from being a kid with your family who maybe doesn't understand to living alone in college and you're like, oh God, what do uh-huh. I do? Yeah. Uh, so I definitely think that we just need more resources, less stigma. No one out there is being like, cancer is shameful. They're not. There's research and there are resources. Mm-hmm. If you get diagnosed with cancer, there is someone to talk to about it. It should be the exact same if you get diagnosed with depression or anxiety or an eating disorder. It's not like you asked for those things to happen. Right. I totally, totally agree. And I think that if we create a culture of kindness, then there'd be less school shootings and less people feeling like they're alone. And if schools, they have their, you know, zero tolerance bullying, but that's only 
when kids get into like physical alterations, but like, what if you get thrown against the wall or what if you get told constantly, like you're ugly, you're fat, or a teacher says that there's no, there's no repercussions for any of that unless it gets to a level that they deem unsafe. But the unsafe stuff starts with your mind also. So I totally hear you. Like they need classes. They need to educate kids on this because the struggle I see in the school system is they're so like test driven and and like, oh, you need to test, test, test. But it's like, no, because not every kid has a safe environment to go home to or knows how to cope health like in healthy ways and things like that. So totally hear you on the the classes. Like teachers should also be trained. Like the teacher who was like rude to you, but then you also have the supportive teacher. Like teachers who do so much good. I'm not discrediting the incredible, amazing things teachers do, but they're under so much pressure from that test-driven, excellent academic excellence that they don't have time to really necessarily get to know everyone the way like they could when they were smaller class sizes, you could see those things happening. When you only have a class of 20, 25 kids, you're you're going to have the opportunity to know them more. But now when it's double that, they're like, got to teach the material, don't know what's going on in the back of the class, have no idea what text messages are being sent, like what that person's saying. They don't know. And for me, like I have really great teachers who were there for me and I don't necessarily know what I would have done without that. My home life was very bad. My teachers had to be very understanding to I could not always get my coursework done at home because my parents were crazy. And so having teachers who can see if something's going wrong, if someone's academic starts to deteriorate, instead of just being like, you got to study more, you got to do more, maybe find out why. Right. And I think that could really help with a lot of like bullying because there's always signs of it. There's always one thing or another. If you're emotionally getting wrecked on one side, you're not going to be able to be as productive in your sports, in your extracurriculars in your academic and if you're a parent listening to this you got to ask your kid you got I really didn't tell my parents a lot but they did not ask me either so and I know tons of my friends where their parents never asked them a thing and maybe they could have done something about it if you have kids talk to them ask them if their grades are slipping ask maybe why mm-hmm. like see if there are other causes definitely and I think it's key to like parents need to know like you're the parent so you have control over your kid's phone like take a look and see like what's being said to them and what they're saying to other people because you could think your child's not a bully but then you see things come through and you're like oh maybe my child is bullying my parents I'm super blessed like they're they're great and they were rock solid in my recovery, but like they didn't know until they eighth grade, I ended up passing out in my friend's arms. And so that's when my friends started being like, I think she's got an eating disorder. She never eats. And then she just passed out. And they went to the counselor and the counselor was like, are you eating? And I'm like, yep, because I was like, you didn't ask me when, like I ate like a week ago. <laughs> Your question wasn't specific because it's such a manipulative disorder. And so like they called my parents and I'm like, oh, I'm eating. And my parents believed me. And so then when it came out like a few years later that I wasn't, they were like, oh my goodness. So I think it's just also if somebody says something coming from the school or their friends, keep more of an eye on it too, you know? Definitely just like be more aware and in today's age where everybody over the age of five I think has like a TikTok and a Facebook (laughs) if you are a parent and you are paying for that person's cell phone a app limit screen time do the check-in I don't think that kids have privacy I hated it as a kid that I didn't have any privacy but I also didn't have a smartphone people were bullying me in person I, I did not have that experience that you did with text messages nowadays if somebody DMs me something rude 
it, I'm like, whatever, block, bye. If I had been in high school and people were texting me mean stuff, my world would have crumbled around me because I'd yeah. be like, how'd you get my number? What else can you get? How do you, like, what is happening? Who is spreading my phone number? Right. That scares me too for you that you had to go through that because random numbers, who are all these people? Because then you don't even know, not even like who the enemy is. Is this my friend? Does this person have two phones? Are these random people? Are these just strangers on the internet? It's like, if you're a parent, you can have so much control over what your kids do. That is your responsibility is to raise this small human in the best way that you can. So even if they're 15 and they're kicking and screaming that you are scrolling through their iPhone, I don't care. You could help them, but you could also stop them mm-hmm. from being a jerk. Just as much your responsibility as a parent to stop your mm-hmm. child from bullying, yeah. to not feed into that situation because parents just don't know. Right. They just, mm-hmm. they just don't know. Yeah. And I'm a mental health social worker. Like that's my background, career, life. And I can't tell you how many parents are like, when we're like, okay, like put guidelines up. If your kid doesn't do this, take their phone away. And they're like, oh my gosh, I could never take their phone away. And I'm like, y'all pay for it. You are in control and I think sometimes society like they just forget that and I'm like no like you can save a kid's life like you can help your own child like be that person that they need be a parent and that they need to help get through they do not need a phone if they have a computer there's never I mean maybe now but there's really never going to be a time where they have to get on Facebook to do their academic they do not have to get on Instagram to research a paper block those things set those times make those limits be like no phone sorry you can set it up that they can never download apps. Pro tip parents, you can literally set up your phone through your cell phone carrier that they can't download apps. <laughs> if, you're, if it's that stressful for you and it just really removes them from the situation and I think that's really one of the things in bullying that we don't necessarily think to do is we can remove them from the situation as much as possible outside of actual school. There's mm-hmm. no reason for them to be getting text messages, mean messages. Just They just can't get them. Right. Block numbers, bye. I mean, I had my phone number change. I can't even tell you how many times my dad changed my phone number because of everything. Like, and I had a flip phone, like I had a little razor, like it wasn't anything like high tech at that point. But like, still, when I got out of the hospital, like my parents took my phone, like I had limited phone access. I had, didn't have a door, like you couldn't go to the bathroom, you know, like there were strict set guidelines. And at the time I'm like, God, I hate you guys. <laughs> You're awful. But now I'm like, because of you guys, I'm able to sit here and have this interview with you because you helped me through dark days kind of a thing. So Exactly. So definitely in your story, you seem to have been like in and out of like church and I met you through like a Facebook group for faith. And mm-hmm. so I really want to hear how that has evolved because it sounds like you were always going to church. Mm-hmm. I did not. I was not raised in any sort of religious household. I did not believe in nothing to save my own life probably mm-hmm. until like the last four years. Okay. When it kind of like occurred to me that I was like, oh, I'm still like, I think like my moment was I was like, I really want to die and somehow nothing has worked. So I must be here for a reason. And I was like, okay, I'm here for a reason. Someone put me here for a reason. And that, that kind of like moment, like opened my eyes. I was like, okay, maybe there's more. And then like my, I always had really religious friends, but I was never raised that way. So I didn't really get it. And so like, I started asking questions. I started reading more into faith. I started understanding. So like my relationship is still very, 
new and it is very tested on a fairly regular basis of I don't know what to do. So I would love to hear how you use that to like get through everything you did. Cause when I was going through all of it, there was, there was no God, there was no me being like, why God, why me? There was just, there was none of that. I was just trying to get through the day. Yeah. Um, so yeah. So growing up, I went to church, was involved like in youth group, vacation Bible school, like you name it. I was at church every Sunday. And then when in confirmation class, which was eighth grade and kids at church started bullying me, that's when my faith like tanked. Cause I was, I just couldn't understand why God was allowing this to happen. Like, I feel like there's a difference between it, not really a difference, but in my mind, there was a difference between it happening at school and happening at church. Like church is supposed to be that safe place for you to be. Like people are supposed to be welcoming, non-judgmental, which sometimes I think can be like the total opposite in situations. And so I hated God from eighth grade to basically went up, up until I was in the hospital. So right before junior year, like I hated God. I didn't go to church. I didn't do nothing. I literally sat there at night and I was like, seriously, God, like why? And that would be my conversation with him. And it wouldn't be like, I know you're there. Like I, like I have a sense you're here with me. Like, it was just like, I hate you. I want nothing to do with you. Why? And then when I met Matt, that conversation of the why me just really turned my faith around. And it was just that conversation. Like it was just one of those where it was like, I felt like, I was like, okay, God, like I, I see you, I hear you. I know other people feel the same way I do. And it was just that, that reassurance. So then my faith was working back to getting strong. And then when Matt died, my faith tanked for like two years. I didn't go to church. I was like mad at God again. I was like, are you kidding me? Like now I'm back to being healthy and getting to learn who I am and who I want to be post all of that stuff. And then you take away the one person who was my inspiration and things like that. Then honestly, once I found running and this is going to sound really crazy, but once I ran across America, like I was like, okay, that's the healing that I needed. Like that was the moment where I was like, okay, we got, I'm, I'm back on track with God. But I still think like we all have those moments where we're, our faith is like up and down and we still question. I mean, I still question why and things like that. But so for a few years it was, it tanked hard and then I got it back and then it tanked a bit more, but that's okay. It's back where it needs to be. So <laughs> I think it's very important to talk about it being an up and down thing because in my mind, not growing up in a religious experience, everyone in my mind that was very, very religious, no matter what religion it was, was almost fanatical. It was, if you do not believe what I believe, you are wrong and you have to have total and complete faith, which I think that you do to some extent, but I didn't understand why. Like no one could explain to me why. Come to find out that there's not really a why behind it. They were so off-putting because they were so horrified that I did not have the Bible memorized and I did not know everything they did. And that was very off-putting for me for a very long time. And come to find out when I talk to my friends who I had like my whole life who are like Christians and believers and they're like, no, we've struggled too. We just don't talk about it. And I'm like, why don't you talk about it right because it makes us bad i was like why does it make you bad well if i'm questioning god then he won't love me i'm like isn't that like the whole point is he he's gonna love you and you are worthy already i'm like isn't that the whole point you guys like even if you're struggling he's still got you that's really like where i'm at in life at this point where i'm like i think yeah no he got me i'm just i'm a flaming mess but like he gets like he knows right he knows that i'm a flaming Uh mess and i probably had to go through with the 
years of like not getting it to where now I'm like, oh, okay, I can see it. I can yeah. see this in my life. And really, and I kind of, I'm sure like you, I hate to admit that I would not be who I am if I didn't go through all the stuff. And I sometimes am very mad that I had to go through it. And I still cry about it and I scream about it. And I'm mad because it is, why me? Why did this happen to me? Why does this not happen to other people? And it happened to me because I was strong enough to get through it. Mm -hmm. And strong enough to get through it means that I can prove to somebody else that they can also get through it. And so that's kind of become my purpose. Like what I do still isn't necessarily 100% faith-based, but now I'm like, okay, if I can help like one person, if Mm -hmm. I can make an Instagram post, go live and share like one thing, you went through some stuff and you're okay. Yeah. That's, that is enough purpose. It doesn't have to be millions of people. It can just be one person. And I used to think it had to be all of the people. I used to think the only way you could be good with your faith is if you ran a church and you ran Bible studies, became a pastor, which is not a thing that's going to happen for me. But I think it's so true. I think that it's hard because people don't share their struggles and people don't let people know when they're when they're struggling or the mountains that they've climbed because I'm a strong believer that we all go through something and that something does not define who we are, but that helps us with our purpose and helping somebody else who's walking a similar journey. I remember about a year into my recovery, I attended this event and one of the speakers was on stage and she's like, yeah, growing up, I had an eating disorder and now I'm here. And I'm like, mind blown because I'm like, oh my gosh, like that's me. I'm a year into my recovery. And if you can do it, I can do it. And I just think there's so much power in letting people know, like, you're not alone. I've been there. I have walked through it and I'm on the recovered side knowing like I'm not defined by anybody and I'm not defined by what I went through, but let me help you walk that same mountain. Exactly. Your pain has a purpose. And I've been trying to make that my mantra for 2020, Mm -hmm. especially in quarantine right now. And the craziness that is the world is like the best time to connect with people social distancing wise but like the best time to connect to share because I think so many people right now are going through a lot of mental health issues that they never had being isolated at home if you're single and you don't have any roommates and you're used to seeing your friends all the time you are struggling and you don't want to admit that you're struggling and I've just found that so much like I'm in so many different groups and people are like I haven't left the house in like 10 days and I'm just alone and I'm like you're not alone this too will pass Mm-hmm. I'm like this too shall pass and I feel like we just need to be there for each other so much more and I like to believe that this has made a lot of people more compassionate because it's put things into perspective the things that are important are your health and your family and the people you care about mm-hmm. not not everything else that you can't right. do not like going out not going shopping mm-hmm. like the things that you no longer can do kind of like highlight what is actually important right now right totally agree so if you could give your younger self a piece of advice besides just don't have an eating disorder, <laughs> that's a given. What what advice would you think you would give yourself if you could go back and you could sit down with your eighth grade self and be like, look, listen up. Mm-hmm. I think I would tell myself, you're going to get through this. I know you're laying in bed at night thinking like, this is it. This is the end. You're not going to live any longer, but you will get through this. Your story as crazy and as difficult 
and as traumatic as it was will impact in a way that you never would have imagined. And then I think I would just tell myself, listen, you will run across America. You will be in a book. You will speak on stages. Just get through this. Like you got this. There's so much more coming for you because let me tell you, if you were to tell me 10 years ago when I was in the heart of this, like day one, or even when I was in the hospital, girl, you're going to get through this. And then you're going to run across America and then you're going to write a book and then you're going to speak and then you're going to share your story. I've been like, you're a liar. Nobody's going to know my story. I'm going to keep it a secret. But yeah, I would just remind myself of my strength because I think that's like the first thing to go and then remind myself like I'm not defined by what they're saying about me. Not that I probably would have listened to that, but I think if my future self could have shown up, that's probably what I would have said. Yeah, looking looking back, I I remember like the day I turned 18 and I was like, I did not think that I would get here. Mm-hmm. And then when I turned 25 and I had my quarter life crisis, I was like, I'm not getting a 30. Ooh. Mm-hmm. And then I turned 30 this year and I'm like, oh, 50 is going to be great. <laughs> It took, like, sometimes it takes a while to realize that. And the sooner you can realize that there is some good in your life and to focus on that as opposed to living in the past because, oh, I lived. I lived in things that people said to me for years. I was, like, 22 years old thinking about what somebody said to me one time in fifth grade. If I had figured out how to move away from the past, probably would have gone a lot better. So if you right now are still thinking about something that somebody said to you, a year ago, five years ago, 10 years ago, and that person is not in your life, let it go. Forgive what they said. It cannot hurt you anymore. What they said cannot hurt you anymore. So I will have all of your info, all that good stuff linked in the show notes where you can find her, Facebook, Instagram, speaking gigs. And so I love to just end with my guests. So final thoughts, just like a quick message that's on your heart. Yeah, I think my final message would be that no matter what you go through, you're not defined by the situation. You're not defined by what anybody says about you and that we all have something unique and something powerful that we can leave in this world. And so I encourage you to figure out what that is and change someone's life with it. Oh my gosh, thank you so much for taking the time to be on here. Like, I'm sure everyone's crying. I'm glad I wore my glasses because I'm like a little misty-eyed over here. I'm going to have some deep reflective thoughts after this, but I'm just so thankful for your time today. Yeah, thanks for having me.